Well, tonight we are going to wrap up the the Sabbath. Um, going to kind of try and uh, finish that so we can get back to our Hebrews uh, study, and I think that it should be our enough time to do that. So, uh, what we want to do is uh, remind you of something that we talked back. Uh, way back when, when we started Hebrews in chapter 4, because Hebrews chapter 4 talks about there still remains a Sabbath rest for all God's people. And so I want to kind of really bring this to a point of application. I think for a lot of people, a lot of pastors, the Sabbath just isn't that important because it's not relevant. They don't realize the scriptural relevance to the Sabbath. And it is talked about in the New Testament when we see Hebrews chapter 4. And so, again, if you haven't heard our other Hebrew study, go to patreon.com and you can hear the, uh, the first 11 chapters that we've covered on that as well. But um, just to take you back there, we're not going to stay very long in Hebrews since we've covered it, but I just want to remind you of it. Hebrews 4 verse 4 says this, for he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. He's going to go on, and basically he, he's describing, he says, these people in the wilderness, because of their disobedience, never got to enter the rest, the promised land. And that promised land is a picture of heaven. So he is connecting here creation... The first, you know, the, the seventh day of creation to heaven. The promise that we've all been waiting for, our rest, where we no longer have to struggle with disunity and uh, sickness and disease and, and depression and whatever else bad is in this world. But he's definitely drawing a parallel here to that and saying that you can experience this rest in part every week on the Sabbath until that final Sabbath appears. It's like the, the festivals. We've been talking about the festivals in times past, and you see how those festivals are all a picture of Christ. They are all a picture of what he was going to do, or is going to do, both. The Sabbath is no different. The Sabbath is a picture of a future event, and therefore when we practice that, rehearse that, we are getting ready for a future event. And so every week, the Sabbath rest is intended to bring us a picture of what we're to be looking forward to. No work, you know, being in the presence of God. And so that is what Hebrews was talking about. It is a rehearsal every week for our heavenly home. So what I want to do is to show you while the, the, the modern-day church really does not respect the Sabbath or, or have any relevance to it, I just want to show you what the Jewish people, how they view it, because it is significant. And I just want you to take to heart what they're doing when they do it. Because it's easy for us to just, oh, they're, just, they're being legalistic, they're just not working. It is so much more than not working. It is about an attitude of the heart towards Jesus, and a looking forward to this promised land. That's why they do it. Not just a legalistic rule, but a joyful looking forward to the promises of God. 
And when I talk about the Sabbath, that's what I want you guys to get out of it. Not a legalistic, oh, you can do this and you can't do that and you better do it. It's, listen, this is a blessing that we're giving you and you can experience those blessings. What they have, they, they call it lecha dodi. Um, it's a, basically a prayer. And all that lechol dodi basically means uh, come my beloved. And you're going to see that every Sabbath, this is what they read, you're going to see what's going on in their mind. Here's just some of the lyrics to, to this song that they sing in the prayer. Come, my friend, to meet the bride. Okay, We know what the bride is, don't we? Jesus calls the church the bride. Keep in mind that even the Orthodox Jews will sing this. Let us welcome the Sabbath. Observe and remember in a single command the one God announced to us. The Lord is one and his name is one. For fame, for glory, and for praise. Come, my friend, to meet the bride. Let us welcome the Sabbath. Come, let us go to meet the Sabbath, for it is a source of blessing. From the very beginning it was ordained. Okay, the beginning of creation. Last in creation, first in God's plan. Come, my friend, to meet the bride. Let us welcome the Sabbath. Shrine of the King, royal city, arise. Come forth from thy ruins. Long enough have you dwelt in the veil of tears. He will show you abundant mercy. Come, my friend, to meet the bride. Let us welcome the Sabbath. Shake off your dust. Arise. Put on your glorious garments, my people, and pray. Be near to my soul and redeem it through the son of Jesse. The... Bethlehemite. So this is really a picture of Zechariah 14 in the millennial reign. Come, prepare to meet the bride, get rid of all the tears, put on the glorious garment, and you're going to be redeemed through the son of Jesse. Ultimately, that is what Christ is, David, the son of, son of David, right? It goes on, bestir yourself, bestir yourself, for your light has come. Arise and shine. Awake, awake, utter a song. The Lord's glory is revealed upon you. Come, my friend, to meet the bride. Let us welcome the Sabbath. Be not ashamed nor confounded. Why are you downcast? Why do you moan? The afflicted of my people will be sheltered within you. The city shall be rebuilt on its ancient site. Come, my friend, to meet the bride. Let us welcome the Sabbath. Those who despoiled you shall become a spoil. All who devour you shall be far away. Your God will rejoice over you as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. Come, my friend, to meet the bride. Let us welcome the Sabbath. You shall extend to the right and to the left, and you shall re revere the Lord. Through the advent of a descendant of Perez, we shall rejoice and exult. Come, my friend, to meet the bride. Let us welcome the Sabbath. Then the congregation will rise. They turn toward the door as if they're welcoming a guest coming in and say, Come in peace, crown of God. Come with joy and cheerfulness amidst the faithful of the chosen people. Come, O bride, come, O bride, come, my friend, to meet the bride. Let us welcome the Sabbath. Can you see? This is, this is almost like a calling of, Come, Lord Jesus, come. And that's what, that's what the Sabbath is a picture of. When the Lord comes back, He is going to give us rest from all 
our, our labors, our tears, our sorrows, those that are you know, trying to despoil us, they will become the spoil. This is the type of attitude that we should have with the Sabbath. I think we can learn something from them in that sense. That this isn't just a day not to work. It is a day to remember the promises that God has given us. A Sabbath rest still remains for all God's people. Hebrews 4, 6 continued, Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Is it disobedient to not keep the Sabbath? Yeah. Honestly, it is. It is disobedient. What describes disobedience? God's word. We don't get to decide what's obedient and what's disobedient. Now, does that mean if you don't keep the Sabbath, you're going to hell? You're not a Christian? No. There's a lot, a lot more in many ways that I'm disobedient to God every week, if not every day, than just not keeping the Sabbath. But it doesn't make it right, does it? When I recognize sin in my life, I try to change it. I want to do it. And this is what he's saying is, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. Now he's ultimately, I believe, talking about the heavenly rest. But again, the Sabbath rest every week is a picture of what we should be rehearsing for, looking forward to, and be doing what's holy on that day. And so, this is relevant for us today. It isn't just, oh, that's just a rule that we're supposed to do. No, this is meaningful for us. And I think that's important to put that relevance into it. I want to show you uh, Rabbi Menachem Posner. He says this, according to the Talmud, Shabbat is equal to all the other commandments. In other words, they, they basically sum it up, this is one of the most important. All of the rest can be kind of, aren't as important as just this one in itself. Shabbat is so central to the Jewish life that the term Shimmer Shabbat, Shabbat observer, is synonymous with religious Jew. In other words, the very marker of whether you are a Jew or not was whether you kept the Sabbath or not. Remember, we talked about that in Jesus' day. The same importance was put on it. They said, this man can't be from God because he breaks the Sabbath. Well, he didn't break the Sabbath, but that's what they were seeing. He was breaking man-made rules. But nonetheless, they put such an importance on the Sabbath that if Jesus was breaking it, he could not be the Messiah. That's pretty, uh, that's a big deal. Now, what I like about that is this marker. Scripture really agrees with what they're saying here. Ezekiel 20, I think verse 20, talks about that it is a sign of the covenant that he has made between me and you. It is a marker for God's people. Now again, I'm not saying if you don't keep the Sabbath, you're not a Christian. I think there's a lot of ignorance out there and people don't do it because they just don't know any better. They haven't seen the relevance or whatever. But the point is, is what scripture is telling us is it is kind of a marker. Matthew 24, 19, But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days, and pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. He is talking about end times, 
you know, when the, the abomination that causes desolation is going to be set up. If Jesus got rid of the Sabbath, why is he telling you here in Matthew and in Luke and all these others that talk about the same exact thing, that there's a day coming in the future when you should be praying that it does not happen on the Sabbath? If the Sabbath doesn't matter, why is he talking about it? Okay, it does matter. Isaiah 66 this is talking about end times. Go look at it. Isaiah 66, the new heavens and the new earth. And it says, For as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me. Even Isaiah 66, talking about a future event from 2021, is saying from Sabbath to Sabbath, people are going to come to worship him. So who's changed this? It wasn't God. It's not God's word that has changed. It is the church and their, as we talked about before, their confirmation bias that has changed it. So I think these are important to show you that the Sabbath has not been done away with in any way, shape, or form. It still speaks of a future salvation. 2 Timothy 2.23 says, But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their sense senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. In other words, the reason I'm bringing this up is how are we to respond to those who oppose the Sabbath? Okay. Well, we are not to get in foolish arguments about it, but we are to be gentle. We are to teach. We are to be patient to those who do not understand. We are to be humble. We're not supposed to be proud and, and look down on them and think that we're better Christians than they are because they're not doing this or they're not doing that. Okay, We kind of talked about that when we looked at Colossians and do not judge others when they're doing things for spiritual reasons. But at the same time, we, we are supposed to teach. We are supposed to say, hey, I'm not ashamed of this. Yes, I, you know, people say, oh, your Sabbath is on, on, on uh, Sunday. No, my Sabbath isn't mine to say God's Sabbath is Saturday and I don't have a Sabbath God has one he declared the day I don't get to say oh your Sabbath no 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 it's not mine it's God's and so we do need to t teach so that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil again I'm not saying that, hey, the devil's got them, they're going to hell because they don't keep a Saturday Sabbath. What I'm saying is this. The devil knows that there is something very special about the Sabbath, which is why he has gone after it from time after time after time throughout history. Every Antichrist picture has gone after the Sabbath because the devil knows there's something special about it. And all through Scripture, we see when they did not keep the Sabbath, the problems that happened. They went to Babylon because they did not keep the Sabbath. I personally think the reason is, is because the Sabbath says, so that you may know me. 
that when we reject keeping the Sabbath and we just make it, you know, not a holy day, but maybe, oh, I'll go to church on Sunday, and then the rest of the day I go mow my lawn, watch football, uh, do whatever we want to do to have fun, play games, whatever. That's not making it holy. The purpose of the Sabbath was so that you would have time and focus on Jesus. And if you did that once a week, it's going to keep you from going astray, keep you from listening to the devil saying, hey, go ahead and open up that computer and look at that pornography, keeping you from becoming uh, a liability. And so that's the purpose. And if we ignore it, we're in trouble. But we're not there to convince people. You know, I've been trying to keep the Sabbath for a lot of years. A lot of you have known me for many years. I haven't dumped this down your throat. I haven't pushed it on you. But you knew it. Okay, I think that that's what we need to do. Is we'll teach you if you're willing to listen. The Holy Spirit is going to do the one that's going to be the, do the convincing. I think even some of you who have been coming to this study, we've been talking about things that aren't typically talked about in the church, and many of you are saying, wow, it is in Scripture, because you were willing to listen and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. So many in the church just aren't willing. They have that confirmation bias, as we talked about last week, so they're not even looking for truth anymore. They've already made up their mind, and so it doesn't make any difference. I'm not even going to search for truth. And that's why I, I'm just so blessed to be around people like you who are still searching for truth. Not taking my word for it, but going to Scripture to see if you know this is true, being a good Berean. So um, we need to know our stuff to be able to teach. And this is what we are able to teach, it says. If we're not in the Word ourselves, chances are we're not going to be able to teach anybody about this stuff anyway. And not just Sabbath, anything. Philippians 1.9, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. If we get to be where we are complacent and satisfied, hey, well, I know Jesus, that's all, you know, I'm going to heaven, I know Jesus, now let me go live my life. Uh, I think that you're in trouble. He says that, that you're not only may your love abound, but it will grow more and more. And in knowledge and discernment. That means as Christians, we should constantly be learning and knowing more and more so that we can discern what is right and what is wrong. There are so many things, and I, I'm not going to have time this tonight, I'm sure, but uh, Deb had sent me something in regards to somebody showing that the, the Sabbath, or not the Sabbath, but Jesus was quite possibly born in December. I knew it was wrong, but I had to study and go back and look to see what is this guy saying. I, I, we need to be able to answer those questions. And, and I'll show you the answer to that maybe next week. Just take five minutes to do it or whatever. But the point being is our job is to grow in love for one another and in knowledge so that we can have discernment. Very important. Now, what I love about this is what are we supposed to be knowledge and discernment or growing that you may approve what? The things that are excellent. 
Now, we can, in our own mind, say, well, what's excellent? Well, I think sports are excellent, so maybe that's what he's talking about. No, we let Scripture interpret what is excellent. What is excellent? When we go to Romans chapter 2, verse 17, it says that the law is what's excellent. Indeed, you are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God and know his will and approve of the things that are excellent being instructed out of the law. When Paul is talking about things that are excellent, he tells us what he meant there in Romans. He's talking about the law of God, Torah. If we have godly people who we respect and love that are putting you down because you keep the Sabbath or you don't do this or you do this or whatever the case might be, which I'm sure all of you have had somebody say something to you here in the last year about things like that, it's very easy for the devil to use that against you if you do not grow in knowledge and love of God's word and he will use that to plant seeds of doubt in your mind th these disagreements between brothers in Christ when God wanted us to be united and I think the best way to be united is just to agree on one thing what we believe is going to come from God's word period I'm not going to make what I believe come from my family history from the church I grew up in from my culture but I'm going to make it from God's word and God's word alone. If we could just get people to agree on that one thing, I think there would be a lot more unity in the world. But you can see how culture is powerful. And, and that's part of the problem. God's word is contrary to what they believe to begin with. So... I just think the more you practice the Sabbath, the more you speak of God's love, uh, God's love language. Ultimately, we've talked about that before. It's like God told us what he likes, what he wants. And when we practice the Sabbath, we are practicing God's love language. Okay? If you're not, does it mean he's, oh, you're going to hell? No. I can't say that enough. But there are blessings because you are loving him the way he asked to be loved. It's pretty simple that way. And what happens then when you love someone the way they want to be loved, your relationship with them deepens. Your intimacy with them grows. And that's what God wants. So how can the Sabbath and observing it be such a, a terrible thing when the goal of it is to keep it holy and spend time with him? And we're going to address that tonight, what that means. Finally, Andrew. Yeah. Need the list. Psalm 119, <laughs> verse 18 says, Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. I am a stranger in the earth. Do not hide your commandments from me. We are all strangers here, and we should pray this all the time. Lord, open my eyes to the wonders that lie in your law. Psalm 25.4, show me your ways, O Lord, teach me your paths. How do you think he's going to do this if the law is gone? If it's no longer applicable, if Jesus got rid of it? Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. 
basically, by the way, you could substitute that word Yeshua. You are the God of Yeshua, my salvation. On you I wait all the day. Matthew 6.33, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Well, what's righteousness? Psalm 119, My tongue shall speak of your word, for all your commandments are righteousness. Again, we can read this and say, oh, seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. What's that mean? And we define it based on what we desire, our confirmation bias, our culture, whatever. Righteousness is just God's love. Right? But the Bible defines righteousness as God's law. Ultimately, what he's talking about is that those who call themselves Jews and think that they have everything because they have the law, he said, you're missing it. It's just kind of like um, when Jesus in uh, Luke and other places, he says uh, that he reveals the Father, the Son reveals to the Father to those whom he chooses to reveal him to. I'm, I'm slaughtering that. You guys know what I'm talking about. Um, I just can't pull it up in my mind right. The bottom line is this. The Father is revealed by the Son. We, you can almost look at the Father as being a, an icon of the law of God. The Son is an icon of grace, people think, right? But in a sense, it's this. You cannot understand that the Father has to be revealed to you through the Son. In other words, you will not have an understanding of the law of God without Jesus. Instead, what do you have? You have Orthodox Judaic uh, Judaism without the Son. The, you have Pharisees without the Son. And so I think that that's kind of what he's talking about. Is he saying, you guys think that because you have the law that you're boasting that you've got it all. And he's saying, no, you don't. You need the Son to understand the law of God. And uh, Again, that's where I think so many in the church go wrong with the law is they separate these two and say, okay, well, I know Jesus. You guys are under the law. Well, Jesus is the law. You just have to have it through the lens of Jesus to understand the law properly. That's why Timothy and Romans will say, you know, the law is good as long as one uses it properly. And how is that? Through the lens of Yeshua. Uh, but do we pray these things in the church? You know, do we pray them just individually? I think we should. We should be because it's it's important. Here are some more. Hosea 6.3, let us know. Let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain. Pursue the knowledge of the Lord. What is that? Just knowing that he exists? No, it's much more than that. James says the devil knows Jesus and shudders. The devil even believes in Jesus. Believing in Jesus is not going to get you to heaven. You have to have a relationship with him and know he is Lord. What's it mean to have a Lord? When, if you were a servant or a slave to somebody and they said, I want you to go clean the house, and they said, no Lord, no master, they'd get a beaten. When we say Jesus is Lord, 
those aren't just words. It means you recognize that you are a servant of Christ. You're a servant of Jesus. He is Lord, Master, and we do what He says. And so to pursue the knowledge of the Lord is to pursue who He is, not just an understanding that He exists, but to surrender to Him, to know who He is, to be intimate with Him. Proverbs 1.5, A wise man will hear and increase learning. A man of understanding will attain wise counsel. If we, because of our confirmation bias, think we've got it all figured out and stop learning, I pity the fool. We always should be learning. Ephesians 5.8, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Uh, Leonard Ravenhill, uh, a great preacher, basically said, the sinner's prayer has led more people to hell because they find a false comfort in prayer rather than godly living. When we would go and evangelize, I would meet those people all the time. We'd be outside of that bar at PJ's and people would come up and they'd say, well, and they're drunk and they're cussing and swearing. Some of them are saying that they're homosexuals. And but I go to church. I pray at night. It's like, you don't have the... First of all, you probably heard me say this, but this one lady in particular was claiming to be a bisexual and all of that. And she said, well, I pray at night. And I said, well, that's nice, but God hates your prayers. And she's like, whoa, 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 what? And I'm like, yeah, God hates your prayers. And I opened up my Bible to Proverbs 28, verse 9. I turned it around. I put my finger on it. And I said, read this for me. And she said, as she reads it, it says, If anyone turns a deaf ear to God's law, even his prayers are detestable to him. She read it out loud, and I asked her, You just told me that you didn't think it was wrong. We went through the Ten Commandments and she didn't think it really mattered, any of that. And I said, you just had turned a deaf ear to God's law. What does God see your prayers as? And for the first time, all of her little <laughs> you know, uh, light-heartedness got really sober. And she said, with all seriousness, she said, detestable. It, just, it woke her right up. The church needs that wake-up call. That's what Leonard Ravenhill is talking about. This sinner's prayer. Well, I said a prayer. I went to camp when I was five. I heard that, I can't tell you how many times, out on the streets because I went to a church camp. 28 verse 9. Uh, Proverbs 33, too, I think, or Psalm 33, 66, I, I don't know, somewhere in there. David says this. David said, if I held iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened to my prayers. So David understood that. But today, this sinner's prayer, hey, I said a prayer, so I'm in. It, like I said, it, it gives them this comfort, this false comfort, and they, they put their faith in a prayer that they said, not the faith in Jesus himself. And anyway, um, three things that we see for the fruit of the Spirit, and for things to grow. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Holiness. 
Holiness is important. The Sabbath is to be kept holy. We are to be holy. Now, I can't make myself holy, no matter how good I try to be. It is Christ's blood that makes me holy. But, it's just like James talks about. Faith without works is dead. I can do all things through Christ who lives in me. But if I'm living in a state of sin and without any repentance in my heart about that, I'm telling you, you are not holy. You are not holy if you live in unrepentant sin. Hosea 4, 6, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I also reject you from being priests for me because you have forgotten the law of your God. People quote that all the time. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. But knowledge of what? Because they don't have their PhD? No. Lack of knowledge of what? You have forgotten the law of God. They are destroyed because they don't know God's law. Any wonder Satan's gone after the law in the churches? I also will reject, forget your children. Proverbs 23, 23, buy the truth and do not sell it. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. I think many buy the truth of the Sabbath, but they sell it right away to get rid of it because it's too hard or it's just not acceptable to their family or to the culture, to their church. We're supposed to keep it. I'm going to kind of give you the story of Josiah without going through it in all the details, but for the first 10 years, Josiah was without Torah. He was without the law of God. He was just a little kid. And they go and they find the temple, in the temple as they're cleaning it out, they find the book of the law. And it cuts, his, cuts him to the heart. In verse 11 it says, Now it happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. He responded. He repented. And the reason is because he understood that the law or the wrath of God was upon him. Why? Because they had not kept the law of God. And he understood how serious that was. So it goes on here in 2 Kings, and he says, um, For great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. Because your heart was tender, and you humbled yourself, God says to Josiah. I have also heard you, says the Lord. Surely, therefore, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. In other words, we need to have a tender heart for the law of God. Yet, when we bring up the law of God so often in modern Christianity, it's not received with a tender heart. It's received with rebellion and anger and frustration and mockery. I also want you to understand something too. Prior to finding the law of God, was Josiah loved by God? Yes, he was. But what happened is, he found the law of God and it caused him to grow in his understanding of who God was. That's the difference. And that's why I say, be careful not to be judging these people who do not understand a Saturday Sabbath. 
who do not understand the law of God. They can be like Josiah, who are loved by God, are going to be in heaven with us, but they're missing out on blessings because they are not growing in their knowledge and intimacy with Yeshua because of it. So, yes, are there pastors even that are ignorant of God's law, that they're not obeying the law of God? Absolutely there are. So be patient with them in humility, in humbleness, not boasting over them. Teach them and have knowledge to teach them, but be patient. I'm thankful God was patient with me. I didn't know this all. I grew up in a church all the time. I mean, Sunday was my Sabbath. And it was my Sabbath, not the Lord's. It was mine. And I grew up with that all the time. But I have no doubt that God was with me that whole time. I have no doubt that had I died, I'd have been with Jesus in heaven. But when I started keeping the Sabbath, just like Josiah, I grew in an understanding of who God was and an understanding of the rest of the scriptures. And I have been blessed beyond belief. That's all I want for you, is to have that blessing. So, practicality to all of this. The question that Andrew has been asking. What do we do? What does it mean to keep the Sabbath then? Well, it's really as simple as this right here. Four primary things are discussed in Scripture about what to do or not to do on the Sabbath. No working. We're going to look at this. No buying or selling. No kindling a fire. And by the way, I want you to note that this fireplace is warm right now. Okay? So you're going to say, wait a minute. What's going on? We'll get to that. No embracing of your own pleasure. Those are the four things the scripture really addresses. And we're going to tag on a fifth thing that's used, but I'll see you that in a minute. But right now, primarily these four things. Okay? No work... Why? Well, Exodus 20, verse 8 is going to explain this and help us understand it a little bit more. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. So notice he's kind of defining what work is here, labor. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servants, nor your animals, nor your foreign, foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day. He did not do it on any of the other days. He blessed this day and made it holy. So no melacha or work we need to talk about what that is. Remember in the Garden of Eden, was there work before the fall? There was. God put them in the garden and he said, tend the garden. There was work before the fall. So keep that in mind for a moment. Then when the fall comes, he says, now by the sweat of your brow, you will work the ground, and it's going to produce thorns and thistles. There's a curse that's associated. Work is no longer going to be this pleasurable thing. It's going to be hard work. It's going to be laborious. Okay? So 
in other words, what he's, I think what is being said here is we are to avoid the curse, like a curse. And I'll explain that a little bit more. Does that mean that on the Sabbath it's time for you to mow your lawn? No, it doesn't. But he's not talking about you being able to do some pleasurable thing that, you know, I have been looking forward to this for a long time. And what's happened is the Jews have build a, built a fence around the law and it became pharisaical. I think personally that what is work for me may not be work for you on that same day in some cases. Okay? Now, we're going to define this a little bit more as we go, but the point is, is we're resting from the curse, not the blessing that we are resting from, the blessing of work. Okay? Um, I know that's going to be a little cloudy yet, but it'll come more clear. In Exodus 21, it talks about the year of Jubilee. And that is a picture of the Sabbath in a sense. The year of Jubilee was after seven years. You have a seven-year cycle. You have seven of those cycles. It's 49 years. And then on the 50th year, it was a year of Jubilee. All your debts were to be forgiven and released and taken away. All of that land was returned. It was basically a picture of a Sabbath rest to a Sabbath of Sabbaths. And it represents freedom, bondage. So in other words, you have six Sabbaths, and then after the end of the seventh Sabbath, freedom comes. Or the end of the seventh. We have six days, seventh day, that seventh day it is, it's bringing in rest. So, I would say that you can, in some ways, and this isn't going to clear it up completely, but the definition of work is defined after the curse and labor, that when it becomes laborious, in a sense. Your normal, everyday work that you are doing. Now, Jesus is going to unpack this a little bit in the Torah himself to help explain what I'm trying to describe. Matthew 6, verse 30, it says, If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or shall we, what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. I find it interesting how the devil has done a really good job of turning the Sabbath into a burden and a curse rather than a blessing. It's almost as if if people try to keep a Sabbath and don't do their regular work, they don't know what to do with themselves anymore. It's turned into a curse. Um, I know I was talking to a friend here recently, and she was telling my kids that when she was in high school, there was a time where, and I don't remember why, but she was kind of confined to her room for a long time. And it forced her. She didn't have TV. She didn't have anything that forced her 
to go and pray and, and seek the Lord. And in that quiet, God was able to speak to her. And in all the busyness, God was not able to speak to her all those other years. And she was grateful for that. I think some people throughout this time of COVID have experienced some of that same type of thing too. That it's been a blessing for some in that quiet time. Um, but people today worry that if they keep the Sabbath, they're not going to get all their work done. It's the only day of the week that I have to do it or whatever. And they worry about things like that. Uh, they, they worry that they're not going to make money. Well, if I don't go and work on the Sabbath as well and sell on the Sabbath, then I'm not going to be able, I'm not, I'm not making money on that day and I, I can't afford that. All these justifications that we have. But I think what Yeshua is saying is, have faith first. Test me in this. As he you know, talks about, in, about tithing in Malachi. Test me to see that if you will honor and keep and protect this day holy, that if I don't provide for you. Go ahead, test me. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Don't seek ye first, well, I'm not going to make enough money. Or I'm not going to get this done. Putting the world ahead of the kingdom of God first. Now, to get more context to this, I want to back up a few verses in Matthew 6 here. Um, and one more thing before I do. I want you to remember this too. The priests, on the Sabbath, did they stop their work? No, they did not. The sacrifices were made. They still served the Lord. And so, that's not work to be serving the Lord. The priests did their jobs on the Sabbath. Now, you could say, we are priests, but again, doing godly things, which we're going to define a little bit here too. But uh, ultimately, get the world out of your mind, put Jesus in first. That's one of the things that you need to do on the Sabbath. Get the world out, Jesus in. Backing up a few verses, when the disciples asked Jesus to show them how, you know, teach us how to pray, to answer that, he takes them all the way back to Exodus when the manna came down from heaven. Teach us how to pray. You would think, okay, well, here's how you do it, but he takes them back to Exodus and the manna. And he says this, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. I think one of the first things that we see him doing is he's taking them back to that trust that they are to have in God. Remember, they had nothing. They're out in the desert. They have absolutely nothing. If anybody would have some reason to complain and think, if I don't go and collect manna, because God said, you go and collect manna six days, on, but... On the sixth day, collect twice as much because there will be none on the seventh. They were thinking, this is all the food we have. And it was a big temptation for them to collect more. And God saw that as an, a very evil thing. But it took faith for those people to not, you might say, work by going out and collecting uh, bread and you got to keep in mind that when they did these things, it said they would boil it and they would make it. So they had to collect wood. Remember the person who collected wood on the Sabbath was stoned to death back in Numbers. 
they had to collect the wood, they had to knead or break this stuff up, make it into cakes, do whatever they had to do with it. They had to boil the water. They, they, they were cooking on the Sabbath, going through a lot of work to get their food. When God was saying, trust me, it'll be there for you. You don't need to do anything. And so I think in answering this question, he takes us back to the Torah, the laws of God way back then, which is interesting. Okay, why does he go here? Because he wants you to trust him. He wants you to have belief that he is there and he's going to take care of it. And instead, I think that we oftentimes on the Sabbath become like those in Luke 14 where, you know, they're invited to this wedding and one says, well, please excuse me, I, I just bought 10 yoke of oxen. Oh, please excuse me, I just got married. Please, please excuse me, I, I've got things to do. That is our excuse on the Sabbath. God has invited us to a day of rest. And we said, well, please excuse me because I, I got to make some money because it's the only day that these guys are going to be here. Please excuse me because, you know, I, I've been waiting for this movie for the last six weeks. Please excuse me. So don't be like that. I think work is simply this. I, I'm not going to define that for you. Like I said, I'm not going to give you a list that says, okay, you can change your oil, you can't change your oil. What God wants is for you to be seeking Him first. And your everyday, ordinary things that are laborious, you are to stay away from. I'm going to leave it at that. You and only you can answer the question, what is going to be work for you in your life? Um, we'll get to that maybe as an example with the fire. But I'm not going to give you a list. I'm not going to be a Pharisee that says, okay, you can only walk you know, 2,000 meters. Yeah, what's a meter? Yeah. But... A Sabbath walk was just over a mile. We see that talking in Scripture, you know, that they went a, a Sabbath walk, all of this. They defined and get, put all the, this fence around the law to define all the do's and the don'ts, and they became legalistic about it. God's not so concerned about whether the oil has changed or not. He's concerned about what's in your heart, and are you seeking Him and making that day holy? That's what He wants. Holiness. Are you going to grow closer to God changing that oil? I think there's ways that can be done. Okay? Now, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? Matthew 12, verse 12. Yes. I, my son is an EMT, paramedic, fire department. Is it okay to go fight a fire? on the Sabbath. That's his everyday work. Sure. Why wouldn't it be? Do you remember when Jesus says that who of you, if you have an oxen that's fallen in a pit, is not going to go save it? They had justified that maybe it would be work because Jesus was healing on the Sabbath. He says, you've got six other days to come and be healed. Stop it. Come back tomorrow. This is the Sabbath. And Jesus says, what are you talking about? You see, the Sabbath is to be a good thing, and you know what holiness is? Helping someone else. I personally think I could go roof somebody's house to help them out on the Sabbath. That's not work. 
That's being merciful and helping somebody out. So you've got that aspect of it. It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath, Jesus says. We see in Matthew 2, verse 27, he says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Um, it was made for our benefit. Meaning, I'm not making this day holy by what I'm doing, and I'm not the one that's making this day so glorious. This day was made glorious and made holy for my benefit. I can accept that benefit, receive the blessings of it, or you can reject them. But it was made for you. This is a blessing that Satan has tried to rob you of for centuries. Another example of, uh, we just finished Hanukkah. In the book of Maccabees, what we see happening is the, the army, the Greek army, would come and attack them on the Sabbath, and they, I, I don't remember, like 80,000 or something like that were slaughtered on the Sabbath because they wouldn't fight back on the Sabbath. So after this big slaughter, they get together and they decide, hey, we have a right to defend ourselves. If it preserves life on the Sabbath, you can do it. So they said, we won't go and start a fight, but if we are attacked on the Sabbath, you can defend yourself. That's what they came up with. In essence, that's what Jesus says. T to save a life, if you're a paramedic or an EMT or something like that, can you imagine somebody falling there and they can't breathe, they're choking on something, or that's the Sabbath, sorry, you're going to have to die. I mean, Jesus would never do that. That's not what he's talking about. But that's in essence what the Pharisees had done with their fence. Okay. Um, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath, Matthew 12, verse 8. Um, that means he's the one that gets to decide. He's the one that creates it. Um, he's the one that gets to say what it's all about. And whatever he says, that's what we will do. We are not Lord of the Sabbath. He is Lord of the Sabbath. So if he says then, as we're going to look on this next one, that you are not to buy or sell on the Sabbath, then we should not buy or sell on the Sabbath. Because he is the Lord of the Sabbath. Um, let me just give you a, a scriptural example in Nehemiah about this. In those days I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys. In other words, harvesting. Do you remember when Jesus, he has his disciples, they're walking through the fields and they pick grain on the Sabbath and the Pharisees are, hey, what are they doing? They're picking grain on the Sabbath. And Jesus doesn't rebuke them. Why? You go back to Torah, it said nothing about being able to eat on the Sabbath. God wants you to have food on the Sabbath. And it was okay to pick grain to eat. You just weren't supposed to do your usual daily harvesting your work. That's what they're doing here. They're bringing it in, loading it on donkeys. They're doing their regular work. They were bringing all this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Therefore, I warned them against selling food on that day. People from Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise and selling them in Jerusalem on the Sabbath to the people of Judah. 
And it continues in verse 17, I rebuked the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this wicked thing you are doing, desecrating the Sabbath day? Didn't your ancestors do the same thing so that our God brought all of this calamity on us and on this city? Now you're stirring up more wrath against Israel by desecrating the Sabbath. He understood that for us to be buying and selling was a desecration of it. Do you remember Jesus even in the temple? What he, he goes in, he tips over the money changers, he tips over all of this because he says, you guys have turned my house into a den of thieves, but my house is to be a house of prayer. And I think sometimes we can do that in a church by you know, buying and selling and fundraising and, and whatever, let alone just us going and doing our regular shopping on, on the Sabbath. For me... I have tried to basically stay away from I don't get on Amazon. I don't even go collect, get my mail because I'm tempted to get the mail to pay my bills and to take care of things right away and, and do things. Uh, so I don't get the mail on, on the Sabbath. Okay, You guys do what you want. You just have to know in your heart that the Bible says do not buy or sell on the Sabbath. Okay, That simple. Um... We clearly see scripturally, though, that God saw it as a wicked thing. And that this day means something to God. And when we do buy or sell, we are desecrating that day. Keep in mind, it isn't what it means to you. It's what it means to God, scripturally. It continues, When evening shadows fell on the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I ordered the doors to be shut and not opened until the Sabbath was over. I stationed some of my own men at the gate so that no one could load, uh, or no load could be brought in on the Sabbath day. Once or twice, the merchants and sellers of all kinds of goods spent the night outside Jerusalem, outside of the city wall. In other words, he was trying to keep them from doing this, and he's going to kind of warn that he's going to beat them up if they end up there again, and they don't then. But he's taking measures to protect the Sabbath. I can tell you this, when you try to take measures to protect the Sabbath, which is the command of God, when he says, remember the Sabbath, another one says, shamar the Sabbath. In Deuteronomy or Exodus, I don't remember which one. Shamar means protect. Protect the Sabbath. That is one of the commandments of God. I can promise you this, the enemy is going to camp outside your gate. He is going to want to give you every temptation and every reason to desecrate the Sabbath. Just like he did here in Nehemiah, which means that you need to stand up and you need to threaten that enemy and say, back off, Jack. I belong to Jesus and I'm going I'm to protect this day. God wouldn't have said protect it if it wasn't going to be a war and a battle. And he's telling you, this is going to be hard. People, The devil is going to want to keep you from being able to be blessed. So protect it. How do you do that? Well, first thing, you take authority. Just like Nehemiah did, he was taking authority. Nobody appointed him. He just came and said, this is what Scripture says. You guys come there again, I'm going to beat the daylights out of you. And I mean it. We protect it as, 
as the head of the house, the man needs to set down some rules. And you need to protect that day. Um, in short, guard it. Teach your family. Train your family. Set some rules. And that's it. Okay. He continues, I warned them and said, Why do you spend the night by the wall? If you do this again, I will arrest you from that time on. No longer came on this, they no longer came on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites to purify themselves and go and guard the gates in order to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember me for this also, my God, and show mercy to me according to your great love. So the results are good. Um, but he commanded the Levites, the godly people, to, to do that. Third thing, no kindling of a fire. As I said, there's a fire in here. What's that mean? Well, six days work is to be done, but the seventh day shall be your holy day, a day of Sabbath rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it is to be put to death. Do not light a fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day. So this is where we get there's not to be a fire. I want you to understand this is the only place in Scripture where this is mentioned. Is here in Exodus 35. Not when the Ten Commandments are given or anything like that. This is the only place. And because of that, it has caused all kinds of interpretations to come about because there's nothing to interpret it, another verse to help us understand it. And as a result, the Jews have turned this into all kinds of craziness, like you literally cannot turn the light switch on when you come into the house. So in many cases, the Orthodox Jews will have hired a goyim or a Gentile, a goy, to live in their house on the Sabbath so that they don't do the work, they tell them to do the work. Would you turn the lights on, please? Okay, that's how silly, yeah. That is how silly it has become. And I don't think it needs to be that um, complicated. We have to understand that the context even here is this, in not doing your work. And so, if we're going to be sitting here in 20 degree weather, you know, that is not what God wanted. He wanted you to eat. He wants you to be warm. What he doesn't want is for you to do your regular work. And for them back then, especially out in the desert, getting wood was not an easy thing. I think it was absolutely fine for them to have wood piled up if it was below zero down there, and they had wood that they had gathered enough on day six, just like the manna, they were able to eat the manna. They'd also be able to throw the fire on, or throw the wood on the fire. They weren't supposed to be going out and gathering the sticks, which is, by the way, what happens in Numbers, and he's stoned for it. It was the 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 context here is in connection with work, your normal work, but he's not against you living. It is okay to do good on the Sabbath, to take care of your needs and the needs of others. That's not a problem. But again, the Pharisees have made this wall around it, made it very legalistic. So, um, again, it gets back to that labor, your regular labor. Um, so, I make sure that we have wood ready, try to keep coals. If there's not, I don't have a problem starting it again because I'm doing good on the Sabbath. That's how I see it. Okay, and I think most Messianic Jews see it the same way. 
it's the Pharisees that have made it just all this whole list of do's and don'ts. Um, last thing, no embra embracing your own pleasures. Um, basically, in the Hebrew, it, it makes it very clear that it is desires. You're fulfilling your desires. I think movies, entertainment, things like that, where you shut your brain off and you're just vegging out to do your thing is basically one way to maybe uh, describe it. Or maybe this, mundane world things, worldly things, rather than spiritual things. That's what Scripture says. He's trying to help you say, I want you to be thinking about me. I want you to, to pray. I want you to study your word. I want you to, to, to spend time with your family. I want you to help others because in all these things, there's holiness. Remember what Jesus said when, when they said, you know, when did we feed you? When did we give you something to drink? Where, when were you in prison and we visited you? And he says, when you didn't do it to the least of these, you didn't do it to me. So when we go out and we feed others, when we're visiting people in the nursing home, when we are uh, taking care of our family and loving them and doing things that are good and holy, that brings glory to God. So I kind of see it as that. How do we get this? This is where Isaiah 58 says, if you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, mundane worldly things you might say, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. I would say that all of these that I've talked about, I could sum up in some simple thing. It's this, don't sow to the flesh, sow to the spirit. That's it. Sow to the spirit, not the flesh. That's what you do to honor the Sabbath. Remember it, keep it holy. And remember then that there's a blessing. A, you will have joy. You will find your joy in the Lord if you do these things. Now, I said that I was going to add on one last little thing, and that is travel restrictions. And that was because of, again, the Jewish things. <laughs> Exodus 16.29 is where this comes from. Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days, Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So they take this, and as I said, they made all these rules of 2,000 cubits, uh, which, or I guess 6,000 feet. I, I said 2,000 meters. 2,000 cubits, which is about the same thing. Uh, cubit varies, but some say 18 inches to 25 inches. Um, so it's, it's not quite, but around 6,000 feet. I think that this has been taken out of context by the Pharisees, where they said you could only walk this, but this is why in their Jewish synagogues and in, uh, not in their Jewish, the Jewish uh, ghettos, they would always live within a walking distance to the synagogue. And some in, in Jerusalem, you see the same thing happening today. There will always be a synagogue within that distance of a Jewish community so that they will keep this. 
Okay, but again, the point was, is not going out to gather your wood, not going, it, it isn't about not moving and taking this to the literal extent where, okay, I'm not allowed to leave my tent. Because otherwise, how are you going to feed your ox? How are you going to help that oxen out of the, the ditch that it fell in? But God expected them to take care of their animals on the Sabbath day. Expected them to do that. So, again, you can take this to the extreme, but Exodus 16, 27, Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to do what? To gather it, to get their wood. This is in the same context. Just two verses earlier. You see, the context of staying in your home wasn't about not leaving the house as much as it is don't go out and collect wood on the seventh. You're supposed to have that done on day six. So take the context of this. So I don't believe God put a travel restriction of so many feet. Now, are you going to work? Yeah, maybe that, that you shouldn't be doing. But that has nothing to do with how far you're traveling. It has everything to do with what you were planning to do, not the distance of travel. So that's why I say this is the fifth one that they have added, but I, I think it's out of context and, and not even a, an issue. So... Um, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. Uh, I want to bring this back to the, probably the most important context, and that is this. The relevance of the Sabbath is because it all points us to Yeshua, ultimately. If we just make this about rules and us and what I can and can't do, what's the point? If Yeshua isn't the real reason that we're talking about the Sabbath. Elohim here, in the beginning, Bereshit bara Elohim. In the beginning, God created. That word God, Elohim, is a plural form. Im at the end makes it plural. So it's a plural form of a singular word. And Yeshua, I think, is revealed here in this verse because of that. We see an aspect of what we would call the Trinity right there in Genesis that God is three persons in one. He is only one person. I don't get it. I'm not even going to try to explain all of that. I just know that, you know, Jesus says, I and the Father are one, all of those kinds of things. Okay? John agrees with this, that Jesus was there. Uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, this Word, Jesus, all things were made. Without him, Jesus, nothing was made that has been made. So we're seeing this connection to Jesus and, and the Father there. It goes on in verse 2, and we see, And God said, Let there be light. We see the Holy Spirit there as well. But uh, I'm sorry, in the, the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. And God said is the word, the spoken word. That's still Yeshua. We see this light. When he says, let there be light, we see John saying that I am the light of the world. Revelation 21, the city does not need the sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its light. So, point being, there's a connection to Christ in creation. Hebrews 1.1, in the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various places or ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, the Word whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also 
he made the universe through the word, through Jesus. Um, Colossians 1.16 says the same thing. Proverbs 16 says the Lord has made all for himself. That creation was made for who? Him. Not you. Yes, you're part of it, but that's because he wanted that. The Lord has made all for himself, even the wicked, for a day of disaster. And so, as we continue in Genesis 2, it says in verse 3 that then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Why? Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. It's easy to read this, and we kind of have this mystical God the Father, but we have to realize it was Jesus that did all the creating. You might say, then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it Jesus rested from all the work that Jesus had done. And so for me, the biggest reason to obey the Sabbath is because this is a day that Jesus made for himself a day that Jesus glorified, and if Jesus blessed it, then I should obey it. It isn't just an Old Testament thing if Jesus is connected to it. It's a New Testament thing. The reason it was there is because of Jesus. So when Jesus comes, it's still applicable. But when we make it just this God the Father thing, it's easy for people to say, well, that's an Old Testament thing. No, Jesus is connected to it. So, um, if he honors it, do we honor him by honoring it when we do it? I think so. He honors it, then I honor him when I do it. And I do it to honor God more than I do it so that I can get a blessing or anything like that. Um, Titus, I've just got a couple of slides left here and I'm done. To, all, to the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in works they deny Him. Being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. If we love Him, we do as He says. The Sabbath, honoring or keeping the Sabbath, to me, it's about worship. I am worshiping God by giving Him honor when I do. And to the pure, all things are pure. God has made it pure. As someone who He has made pure, I recognize that. And I don't want to profess to know God and deny what God says in His Word. Um, you might say it this way. The question isn't, what does the Sabbath mean to me? The question is, what does it mean to Yeshua? So, um, Leviticus 23 talks about the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. These are my feasts. Um, remember at the beginning I said these feasts are His. Just like He calls it my Sabbath. Because these are things that point to him that are appointed times. 
by the way, that's also one reason why I think Jesus was not born in December, is the Bible says that he came at the appointed time. It's the same word. The feasts of God are called appointed times. And so he came at the appointed time that he has in his word uh, proclaimed as holy. Um, but anyway, what's interesting is verse 3 then connects the Sabbath to these feasts. Holy convocations, my feasts, and then six days are to be done, but you're to work on the Sabbath, or not work on the Sabbath, it's a solemn day of rest, a holy convocation. So this is the day that we are to assemble. You shall do no work on it. It is a Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. Ezekiel 20, Moreover, I gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between them and me that they may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. Why do one of the blessings of keeping it? So that you might know. You might know the Lord. Verse 20 says, Hallow, keep holy my Sabbaths. They will be a sign between me and you that you may know that I am the Lord your God. That's the blessing. Okay, He made the Sabbath for him, but part of what he wanted is for that day to be for you. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Um, this word sign here, too, um, in verse 12, it's the same exact word that is used for when Cain was marked by God. When he put a mark on it. In other words then, when God tells you that the Sabbath is a sign, it's literally, it's a mark. In a sense, you could say that Jesus is the one who sanctifies us or marks us when he connects it to the Sabbath. And here are the Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5 that I was telling you before. Remember the Sabbath. But in Deuteronomy 5, it says, observe a lot of translations, but the Hebrew word is shamar literally means protect. Protect the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And with that, I'm going to kind of close out, but just remember, it's, it's interesting to me, remember the Sabbath, and yet it's the only one of the Ten Commandments that seems to be forgotten. Why, if Satan isn't after this day, to keep you from that mark? Even if the Sabbath was Sunday, as we've said before, we don't even observe it and do what God's Word says about it. So, again, I'm not trying to put you under the law. I'm trying to let you be blessed by God's Word. And we should consider what God considers holy as holy. And that we need to protect and guard this day because it is important. So hopefully that gives you some better understanding of the Sabbath. And um, we'll kind of close with that. So let's close in prayer.